Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is an Ornava first for me. Hashem, we are expanding our horizons. Who knows who they will open it up to next time. Now we have women and men, and who knows, based on today's social situation, who might else be here. <laughs> um, it is always a privilege for me to come to Ornava. This is one of the few places that actually emails me and says, when are you coming in again? Because we really would like you to come and speak. There are so many people who want to come to be able to hear you in spite of the fact that it is Arab Shavuos and Memorial Day weekend. Nonetheless, the tried and true have uh, braved the elements and difficulties to be able to come and uh, get a chizik. Get a I, I have a point that I mentioned that I think is so incredibly important, and that is that we um, can't do things without preparation. Can't do things without preparation, just it's the metzias. The, uh, uh, there are people who have this fantasy that we're going to go to the Kaisal, and as we approach the clouds will part and a ray of light will shine on us. And the angels begin to sing. <laughs> and we will touch the wall and feel connected to thousands of years of Jewish history and the tears will begin to flow. Or not, because essentially it's a wall. Yeah? And if you don't know how to move beyond that, that's all it is. So you see people come there and they're looking for this magic inspiration. It's not there. They're just waiting, you know. wonder what this guy wants. I think it's in French. Anyway, and that's it. I mean, the last time I saw somebody just walk up to the wall without any preparation and diving with such tremendous inspiration was Donald Trump. <laughs> so, I mean, you could just see, just see uh, just how deeply moved he was. And Jared, too, but now you know why. Anyway, so uh, you don't have to dive before. But, um, you know, it, it takes preparation. So in the good old days, you did not walk into Yerushalayim. There was a place outside of Yerushalayim where you would first sit, meditate, clear your mind in order to then be able to go into Yerushalayim. Right, um, January 1969 was the first time that I went to Yerushalayim. Um, in my revised biography, it was 10 years before I was born because uh, I figure if Superman can get a reboot, so can I. Yeah, so I'm redoing myself. But, uh, but I remember that. It was a year and a half after the Six-Day War. And now the Jerusalem Highway is is a six-lane highway, and they're making it bigger with bypasses and over things. Back then, it was still the two-lane Babel Wad, curving road leading up to Yerushalayim. Now, they've made this dramatic display, you know, where they have the trucks that were destroyed trying to save Yerushalayim, and they're off to the side. They have lights on them and plaques. When I came in 1969, they were still burnt-out hulks by the side of the road where they had been blown up trying to bring food to the starving masses of Yerushalayim. 
you know, and you're, you're slow, slowly curving your way up. I was a kid, and the bus stops by the side of the road, which was essentially on the road, and the tour guide, who was not a religious fellow, said, Jews do not ride into Yerushalayim, we walk. And he made everybody get off the bus and walk into Yerushalayim. And as we walked up that hill, and they used to have these flowers planted that said, Bruchim Haboim. Yeah, and you saw those flowers, and you were in Yerushalayim. There was something unbelievable about it. And that, that, that getting off the bus and walking, I'm, I, this August will be 29 years that I have this chus to live in Yerushalayim. And every single time I come back, I remember that first moment. Chassidim Rishonim, says the Gemara. You used to spend an hour in meditation, whether this is the Zimra, whatever they were doing during that time, before Shmona Esrei, an hour saying Shmona Esrei, and an hour coming down from the experience, which means that it was something that lifted you out of this world to the point it took a whole hour to come back down. But they needed an hour to get there. You know how to get there. It's a pity that in some circles, Psuki de Zimra has become a lost art form, you know? And uh, you can see uh, people coming into shul and just very quickly doing the Baruch Sha'ama Ashra Yishtabach jump, you know? And, uh, and not really having that time. I have to tell you now that I'm in uh, Velas for my mother, I lost my mother three months ago. So, you know, I have to be there for the first Kaddish, you know, and you, wanna, you don't want to just, like, run in and say the Kaddish. So you have to make sure that you're there with your tefillin on, and this is, this is not normal behavior for me. Um, so I have to get there nice and early and be all set and all ready, you know, and it's a completely different davening. I can tell you for sure it's a completely different davening, you know. It's, it's, it's much more focused, much more concentrated. I can't wait till it's over. So I can go back to what I usually do, which is just mumbling like everybody else. <laughs> but there's, the more preparation you put into it, yeah? Yaakov Avinu says, uh, you know, Shechem, that I captured, Becharbi Bekashti, says Rashi, with my Chochma and my Tefillah. Chochma is a cherev, is a sword, because it's cutting, logic. Intelligence, cutting, chachma. Um, tefillah is a bow and arrow because the further you pull back, that's the further that the arrow is going to go. And the time that you spend pulling back will determine how far your tefillah is going to go. So it's particularly significant when we come to Shavuos. This is probably the prime example and I would like to point out that this is a um, this is a shear that's really coming at the wrong time because we have one day left to prepare for Shavuos. That's not the way the Torah set it up. We're supposed to have seven weeks to prepare for Shavuos. Ad kedei kach that it's something very strange. When you look in Parsha's Emor, and you will find that the name of this Chag is called Yom HaChamishim. That is the name of the Chag. Right? It says there's a holiday called 
Pesach. And then it says on the second day of Pesach, you will bring a korban oimer, a mincha, made out of barley. And then you will count seven weeks. And then on the 50th day, you'll bring a mincha chadosha from the wheat. Parenthetically, just so you understand the significance, before you brought the barley mincha, you were not allowed to eat any chadosh. This is something that your generation, Baruch Hashem, is familiar with. My generation, less so. And that's why when you find people start to be makbid on chadosh, there are people from my generation who say, what, I never heard of this when I was growing up. They just make this stuff up. Yeah? Same thing with bugs. You know, oh, you have to check it for bugs because uh, we learned, uh, you know, that there's uh, 50 bugs in every uh, piece of broccoli. And we have, uh, what are you talking about? We never heard of bugs. And you know what? They're right. They never heard of bugs because when I was growing up, we had this pesticide that was called DDT that killed all the bugs and, by extension, the people who ate them. So, you know, eventually they did away with the DDT and then bugs became a problem. But, but it was... It wasn't a problem in America because they, they just figured out a way to stop it. But that came back. There wasn't a problem with Chadosh when I was a kid because since World War II, the government had a policy where they bought all of the surplus grain in order to artificially keep the grain prices high. They had a seven-year surplus in the United States. So, of course, there was no chadosh. Nobody ever used the new grain. You were using grain that was seven years old. It was stored up. And when Richard Nixon was president, he emptied all of the grain surplus and sold it to Russia. There's a lot to say on that. <laughs> but uh, but um, he sold it all away. So now people start using new grain, but it took, it took people a while to even figure it out. And then suddenly it kicked in again. So uh, people had to start worrying about this. But so there, there's, a, there's a, those who hold that it's Midrabanan and Chutzlairetz and, and those who say you're, you can rely on, uh, you know, on different things, but that, that's not the purpose here. The purpose is in Eretzrel, where Chodesh is the Ereisa, yeah? So until they brought that korban, or now that we don't have the korban, until the second day of Pesach, you could not use the new grain. In the base of Mikdash, you couldn't use the new grain until Shavuos, when they brought the Shtei Lechem. But that's the entire discussion in Parshas Emor. There's Pesach, there's korban Oimer, there's count seven weeks, and then there is a Chag called Yom HaChamishim, 50th day. That's why the Christians interestingly enough, called Pentecost. Yeah? Penta relating to five, of course, 50, and cost because it's an expensive holiday with all the milkies. But uh, who knew milkies could cost so much? But uh, so it's the 50th day. We call it Shvuos, which when you think about it is a kind of strange name for a holiday. Weeks. Weeks. Because, well, there are seven weeks that we count. Shkoyach. That's the preparation time. You don't name something based on the preparation time. You name it based on what it is, not on how long it took you to get there. So it took us seven weeks to get here, so this yantar is called weeks, because it took us weeks to get there. Right? By extension, uh, uh, 
uh, Yom Kippur should be the 40th. Call it the 40th. We'll call it uh, 39 till. Because there's 39 days of preparation to get there. You don't like that, then it's called Yom Asiri. Torah calls it Yom Asiri. Why do we call it Yom Kippur? It's called Yom Asiri. Yeah? Ten, the 10th day. You don't want that? Call it nine days. Nine days to get there. Yeah? Nine days of preparation to get to Yom Kippur. You're calling it weeks based on the preparation. So, putting that aside for a moment, we'll come back to it. But Shavuos is, is obviously Matan Torah. I say obviously, even though it doesn't say that in the Torah anywhere. It doesn't say in the Torah. Not only that, the Torah doesn't even give you a date for Shavuos because it can't give you a date for Shavuos. Today we have a calendar that was set. Back then they didn't. They did it based on when the Adam came and saw the new moon. Uh, it takes the moon to go around the earth 29 and a half days. Very inconvenient to start a month half of a day into it. Hence, we make a month either 29 days or 30 days based on what, when they saw the new moon, right? Now we have a set calendar. It's 29, it's 30, 29, 30, right? So we know for sure that uh, Nisan is going to be 30 days, and we know that ER is going to be 29 days, and so... We know it's going to come out on the 6th of Sivan. But if the Adim came early on Nisan, so then it would have come out on the 5th. And if both days were extended, it would have come out on the 7th. So Shavuos could have been on the 5th, the 6th, or the 7th. It's not given a day. It's called the 50th day after Pesach. But nowhere does it say Matan Torah. Nowhere does it say this is the day. We have that in the Shemona Esrei, the Chazal tell us, this is the day of Matan Torah. The Torah does not reveal that. It's called Chaga Bikurim, Chaga Katsir. has different names that it's referred to. But the fact that this is the day the Torah was given, that's not revealed. And by the name of Shruis, all we're told is that it's preparation. So fine. Fine, preparation. How do we prepare? It's a little late. We've got one day left. Well, let's figure it out. How do we prepare? So the answer is, this is the answer to everything. Okay? Do tshuva. This seems to be the, the standard answer. This is what they tell you during Aseris Mei Tshuva. What they tell you during Elul. This is what they tell you during Hanukkah. This is what they tell you during Shovavim. You know? This is what they tell you during the three weeks. No matter what it is, you should do tshuva. That can't possibly be. <laughs> it can't be that everything just has the same message. There has to be something that's a little bit more unique. And, and I've said this many times that I've been here. Yeah, the biggest problem we have today is relevance. It has to make sense to us. And if it doesn't, it's not going to. Yeah, people aren't going to keep going. You know, and if I tell people this is what you have to do because this is what you have to do, and you know. That's one of my expressions. Most from people do what most from people do because that's what most from people do. And you could ask around and see if it's not true. Most people do what most people do because that's what most people do. And so I have Yeshua Bachram over my house for a Shabbos meal. And I say, where are you learning? And they tell me. And I say, how did you pick that yeshiva? Never once was the answer because I felt this would be the best place for my learning. Never once. 
this is, it's got a very good reputation, it has a good name, um, this is where my friends were going, you know, but never once a person say to me, I really felt that this was going to be a really good place where I was going to grow in my learning. Yeah? Okay, so I mean, you know, let's be fair, uh, how do people pick a seminary? Pick a seminary because you want to go where everybody's going. And sometimes you say, what about this seminary? No one's going there. So if nobody's going there, then I can't go there because nobody's going there. But maybe it's the best place for you. No, no, it can't be the best place for me. No one's going. Because everyone does what everyone does because that's what everyone does. You know? I have Talmud Dot over the years who I really messed up terribly on many levels. I finally left education. <laughs> now I only speak. Move into a town, do a dim- minimum amount of damage and get out before they can catch me. But... Uh, but, you know, I, I would turn these poor girls into monsters, and they would go out on a date with a nice guy, and he says, I want to learn long-term. And they would say, why? And the guy would just, like, fall apart. <laughs> you know? And sometimes, if they could put together a coherent answer, it's because that's what everyone does. <laughs> and you know, everyone does what everyone does, because that's what everyone does, you know? That's what happens. So everybody... So how do I know what I'm supposed to do? How do I know it has to be meaningful for me? I was talking to a group from Los Angeles. Some of the guys were actors. Some of them were directors. There was the head cheerleaders of the Lakers. It was a typical cross-section of Jewish uh, individuals. And, uh, and, I, uh, and I asked a question, and the guy gave an answer. And I looked at him, and I said, do you believe that answer, or is that what you think the rabbi wants to hear? He says, I figure that's what the rabbi wants to hear. I said, don't impress me. You understand? I said, tell me what you really think. Because at the end of the day, if people don't find this meaningful, if people say, why are we doing this? If people say, I don't believe in this. If people say, what do I need this for? Then eventually they're not going to do it. You know? People tell me, uh, you know, I don't like davening. I don't like davening. I said, it's because you don't know what you're saying. So sure I do. I have an art scroll. So, oh, Baruch Hashem. So it used to be you didn't know what you were saying in Hebrew. Now you don't know what you're saying in English. You understand? <laughs> but there's no way I'm going to read that art scroll translation, and I have tried it, and in any level, find it meaningful in your life. Which is meaningless. So I look in the English and it says to praise, to lord, to extol, to exalt. Uh, it's hard to tell the difference between extol and exalt. You know what I mean? <laughs> to raise high, to make great, to pacify, to glorify, to die. That was more meaningful? That was more meaningful to you? To, to, to find relevance. And so when we walk into Svirasa Omer, so what is the goal? So a man said to me tonight, he was so happy. He said he's 58 years old, if you can imagine such a thing. <laughs> a scary number that sounds like. But anyway, 58 years old, he says, and this is the first time since I was a bacher, you know, when I count tonight, that I'll have finished the omer. Usually I miss the omer. So for most people, the important thing is every day to count. And I do not want to minimize that. If you manage to manage to keep counting for seven weeks, and there is nothing more frustrating than when you get to shul and you count, you know what I mean, 37, and the chazan goes 38, and you're like, 
okay, when did I miss a day? <laughs> Is that going over now? Where's it? Where's it? Where? Uh, I'm pretty sure it was 37. <laughs> Gosh, is that frustrating? You know what I mean? The only thing worse than that is when you say 47 and he says 48. That's even worse, you know, because you made it right up until the end, you know? We had a minion, Motsi Shruis, you know, and actually we only have one day. So uh, somebody at the minion, you know, we were about to dive in, and he says, Yesterday was 50. <laughs> It's cute. You could just keep counting it. So that's the preparation is counting. Now I have to tell you, maybe, maybe just counting itself is interesting. If Desla says there's only two mitzvahs in the, in the Torah to count. One is Svirsaimer, and the other one is by Azov and Azava. Right? Azov and Azava are people who are Tomei, and in order to become clean, they have to count Shivanakim. So they have to keep a conscious count what day it is. And says of Desla, because the way you get to Tahara is by counting. What does that mean by counting? That means by being conscious of where I am at any given time. I'm so happy. I'm so happy because I've been teaching the Silchashan for years. And the first level is called Zahiris. And I always had trouble coming up with the best word. I could tell you what's not the best word. I can give you two not best words. One is vigilance, and the other one is watchfulness. Two words that nobody ever uses or ever would use and have no meaning to anybody. Yeah? So I finally came up with the word. It is, it is the word in psychology today. It's called mindfulness. And they have whole seminars on mindfulness. Mindfulness is focusing on what you're doing. Being mindful. Shkoyach, that's Zihiris. Yeah? Means you have to be conscious of it because many people don't think about what they're doing. I would go so far as to say that most people do what most people do because that's what most people do. Not that I mean to belabor a point. But it's true, most people aren't conscious. I can't speak for anybody else here, but I had a Rebbe who once said, everybody has a purpose in life. Yours is to be a bad example, and I've tried to live up to this. Yeah. There are times that I make myself a cup of coffee, and at some point I look and the cup is empty, and I don't remember having drunk it. <laughs> I must have drunk it because it's gone. I just don't remember that happening. You know, mindfulness means that you focus. Yeah. Mindfulness means that you take into account everything that you're doing. That's the idea of counting. Counting means I know where I am, what I'm supposed to be doing, where I am in time, if not in place, and at least in time, and I keep a consciousness. Yeah, there are a lot of people who suddenly turn around and go, oh my gosh, what time is it? Oh, I have no idea. You know, time just flies. You don't know where you are. You, you lose track. So, okay, so part of... Spirit Saimer is just the fact of counting, but let's face it, that did not, if that's the case, you know, we're basically done because there's, you know, could you imagine if you only had to count one day? Today is day one and that's it. Thanks for coming. <laughs> not much. You really can't count one. That's why there's two different numbers. One is Echad and one is Rishon. 
Right? If there's no other numbers, then echad means everything. And when you're counting in a series, it's rishon. That's the Rashi right at the beginning where he says, why do we say, yom echad, it should have been yom rishon. But that's if you're counting in a series. But if you just have one, you can't really count one. So, okay, so part of it is just accounting, but it's got to be something more than that. So, there is something that we learn during this time of year, we call it Pirkei Avos. Now, when you have a collection of Mishnayis, the term for that is Meseches. A Meseches of Mishnayis, which some people feel obligated to translate into English as tractate for reasons I cannot understand. Is there anybody who does not know what a mesechta is, who knows what a tractate is? It's like, it's like phylacteries. People translate phylacteries. You mean you don't know what tefillin are, but you know what phylacteries are? I was in England, I won't mention where, but a person says, next Saturday night we begin the penitential prayers. I said, say slichos. No one knows the difference anyway. There's nobody who doesn't know what slichos are who knows what penitential prayers are. You know what I mean? Just, just call it what it is. Yeah. But um, uh, so there's a group of Mishnais. The Mishnais are divided up into Shisha Sidorim. In Seder Nazikin, there's Baba Kama, Baba Matziah, Baba Basra. There's Makos and Sanhedrin, Harius. And there's one called Avos. Seches Avos. What is the difference between Meseches Avos and Pirkei Avos? This is the group participation part of the program. <laughs> Anyone who answers correctly gets an extra candy in the back. <laughs> oh, now we're motivated. <laughs> What's the difference between Meseches Avos and Pirkei Avos? They sell it as a different book. This is correct. <laughs> It's always important to keep focus on the money. Follow the money. Yeah? The little wasn't there. You're actually close. <laughs> what? You know, I'm so glad that when you said that, you actually did the thumb, because <laughs> you really you need the thumb for that, yeah? Mesechus Avos has only five prakim, and Pirkei Avos has six prakim. Correct. Because the sixth, the sixth perek of, of Mesechus Avos, of, of Pirkei Avos, is not a perek of Mishnayis. It is a collection of brises, and the definition of a brisa is the little Mishnah that couldn't, right? So the, the, it's a collection of braces, non-authorized Tanaic texts, if you find that more helpful than Brysa. And uh, they were all there to stress the importance of learning Torah. And we created a sixth parak called Kinyane Torah. I remember before that Shabbos, one year, Rabbi Moshe Shapiro Zatzal and Shur said, in, by the Yushalmis, this Shabbos is called Shabbos Kinyane Atayra, based on that sixth parak of Pirkei Avos. Now, why, and you would be hard-pressed to find another parak, another Masechta in all of Shas, where we created another parak and added it on. 
Why did we add on another parak to Maseches Avos? Because there are six Shabbos in between Pesach and Shavuos. We learn Pirkei Avos every week. Imagine how depressing that would be if we didn't have a six parak. So we invented a six parak so that we could learn it. So this much is clear. If you want to know how one prepares for Shavuos, it's by learning Pirkei Avos. Now, what, what we mean by saying learning Pirkei Avos is the following. In Pirkei Avos, you'll find the following line. Derech Eretz Kadmala Meaning, the way you're going to be Kona Torah is by changing what type of a person you are. So, there was a time at my Shabbos table when I used to tell jokes. And this one joke my, my children made me tell over and over and over again. There were these two drunks. One of them says to his friend, Go buy us a beer. The other guy says, I don't have any money. This is his money. Go buy us a beer. And he'd go into the bar and he'd say, Excuse me, sir. I would like to buy a bottle of beer. He says, You have any money? Yes, I do. He gives him the money, gives him the bottle of beer, and he gets ready to leave. He says, Where are you going? I'm going to share the bottle of beer with my friend in the alley outside. He says, You can't take the bottle. You have to put it in something. Sorry, right. put it in my hat. So he fills up his hat and he says, there's still a little left. So I put it over here. <laughs> and when he brings it to his friend, he said, that's all the beer you got? He said, no, there's more over here. <laughs> now what do we learn from this? <laughs> we learn that Rabbi Olavsky would do almost anything to entertain his children at the Shabbos table. Yeah? He could have saved all of the beer if he had only pushed the brim down first. And if he pushed it all the way down, there would have been enough room. The meaning of this being that the way you receive is based on how much room there is to put something in. If there's more room, I can put in more things. Like we know the famous story in Malachim, where the Navi wants to give uh, this poor lady oil, and they bring in lots of kalim, and they keep filling up the kalim until there are no more kalim. Then there's no more room. And then the oil stops. But if there'd be more kalim, there'd be more oil. HaKadosh Baruch Hu will give you as much Torah, as much Hashbah, of Ruchnius as there's room to put. If there's only a little bit, you only get a little bit. If there's a lot, you'll get a lot. But there's got to be a place to put it. My father was Shalom owned the flower shop, and uh, all the boys went into work, with the exception of me. He brought me in for a while, and then he asked me to do him a favor and not come to the store anymore stay home and help my mother instead. Evidently, I was the black rose of the family. Whatever the gift was, to this day, I don't have it. Artificial plants die on me. I I just don't have the gift. But once a year, there was what's called Mother's Day, which is the Yom Kippur of the flower business. 
That Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, florists make the overwhelming majority of the money they make for a whole year on that weekend. That's how important it is. So even I was recruited. My job was to deliver arrangements. They used me as a driver. And I would take an arrangement and ring the doorbell with my elbow, and a woman would come to the door, and she said, yes. And I said, delivery for you. From who? I said, probably for one of your children. There's a card inside. She says, okay, come in. And I come in, and she says, I don't know where to put it. Of course, I didn't prepare a place for it. I said, listen, lady, I'll tell you where I'm going to put it in a second, because... <laughs> This thing is heavy, and this is not my regular line of work, okay? <laughs> just, just tell me where to put it and give me a tip, and I'm out of here, okay? <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really very simple, you know? <laughs> Nothing has changed in all the years. It's interesting. <laughs> but, uh, you know, she wasn't expecting it. So a person who just walks into Shavuos, there's no place to put anything. Because Tyra is something you have to prepare yourself. Derech Eretz which means if you're not a mensch, you can't be Makabal Torah. The Torah has no place to go. You're not a Kibble. And that's why we learn Perkei The famous Vart everybody says is, the Omer is brought from barley, and the Mincha Chadosh and Shurus is brought by wheat. And barley is animal food. Ever watch people with cholent? It's clear. This is animal food. <laughs> and wheat is people food. And the Gemara says clearly you don't feed wheat to animals. It's not even good for them. Yeah? You feed to animals things that are animal food. Barley, bran, whole wheat. It's not for people. <laughs> Somebody asked me, Spiro's outside. They said, um, I don't know. The Gemara says that white flour is healthy. And uh, whole wheat is for animals. But uh, doctors today tell us that whole wheat is healthier. He says, yeah, it's because we act like animals, so we have to eat animal food. When we act like people, we can eat people food, you know? But uh, so the idea is that we start off as animals eating barley, and we spend seven weeks to become a mensch, to become a human being that can eat wheat. That's the idea. Derech Eretz Kadmon Torah means I have to make myself into a mensch. I have to make myself into a human being. That's a prerequisite for Torah. I, you find people today who are Tamidei Chachamim who don't have nice midos and don't act like mention. The answer is they're not Tamidei Chacham. They know a lot of Torah. They know a lot of Torah. The Roman emperor learned Torah before he decided to kill the Asura Rugi Malchus. You know that? And that's why the Chazal say that a Tamukhochum without Derech Eretz, Nevela Toivosa Emena. A dead animal carcass is better. Why? Because as you move up the level of life, and the hierarchy is Chai, animals, and then Adam, and then Yehudi, and then the Tamukhochum. When they become Tomei, the Tomei becomes greater. So an animal becomes a Nevela, and, a, and an Adam becomes a Mace, and a Yehudi becomes a higher level of Mace. And so a Tamei without Mido, say the Chazal, 
then a Nevela is better than him because it, it, it's less of a source of Tumah than he is. So there is a Brisa in the sixth parak of Pirkei Avos called the Memches Dvarim. Gedele Teira Men Ha Men Kahuna Men Malchus Yeah, Malchus has 30 powers, Kahuna has 24 Matonus. Torah Nignis but the Torah is acquired in 48, with 48 things. Noach Weinberg's Atzal, the Rashiva of Esha Torah, had a whole series called The 48 Ways to Wisdom. Yeah? And the, the idea was, and I listened to the, some of the tape series, and each tape he would start with the same introduction. Yeah? These are 48 ways for you to be successful. You want to be a better businessman? Use the 48 ways. You want to be a better college student? Use the 48 ways. You want to be successful in anything? Use the 48 ways. Wrong. I have to take exception. I believe that is an incorrect statement. These are not 48 things that you need to be successful in life. These are 48 things that you need to be Kona Torah. Um... Tahara, purity, that will not help you in English literature. My wife was an English minor in university, and uh, she had to be asked to be excused to read certain books. Because even though they were classics, and deemed to have redeeming social importance, they were pornography. And so she said, I'm not going to read this. But if you want to be successful in English literature, then you have to be willing to put these things aside. Yeah? So I need, I need Tara to be successful? Simcha. I need Simcha to be successful in mathematics? There was a book later made into a film called The Beautiful Mind about this famous mathematician who was insane, was schizophrenic. He was talking to people who weren't there. Yeah? He was a very fine mathematician. He wasn't particularly happy. You don't have to be happy to be a mathematician. No olam chaveiro. That's not going to help you if you want to go into pre-med. You say, how many pre-med students does it take to change a light bulb? Two. One to change the light bulb and one to kick the chair out from under him. It's highly competitive. No olam chaveiro. I'm going to help you. If I help you, I, uh, I'm, I'm going to hurt myself. And only one's going to get that slot. It's going to be me. So these are not 48 things that will make you successful in everything you do in life. It's not true. These are things that are going to create within you the ability to be kind of taira. They will transform you. This is an absolutely amazing thing. That means I want to get a bigger chalik in taira. I have to work on my simcha. I have to work on my tahara. I have to work more on helping other people. Um, I have to get up on my social soapbox, which I do every now and then, you know, which gives me an opportunity, uh, I say, to offer legitimate criticism of society. Other people call it ranting and raving. Whatever works for you, yeah? Um, the Jewish press, uh, which has never considered it 
itself to be a Haredi mouthpiece like the Hamudia, you know. So every now and then they go off on how terrible it is that guys are sitting and learning Kolo and people are wasting their time learning Kolo while these bums go out and get jobs, etc. You know? And they have the typical like nine or ten letters to the editor all telling how terrible it is. And okay, there's no chidushim there. I read one that really hurt. It really hurt. I'll tell you the truth, it hurt. This, this woman or this fellow wrote, he says, you know, we have a Kolo in our shul. And uh, we come in the morning to Davin. There are coffee cups uh, all over the tables. Nobody put back the swarm. The uh, milk has been left out all night. No one put it in the refrigerator. Uh, they had breakfast. They spilled the cereal. Nobody cleaned it up. He says, what I'm worried about is that the Kolel lifestyle creates a sense of entitlement. That, <laughs> you know, I'm sitting and learning, so I don't have to do anything else. I don't have to care about anybody. I don't have to be concerned with anything else. A psychologist came to speak to me. It wasn't a professional visit. He was consulting with me. You know. He said, I'm not sure what to do. And he says, um, this uh, young lady got married to this fellow. And uh, they have three little kids. And she can't handle it. She's almost falling apart. And the kids are having behavioral issues because they have one parent raising them and she just can't handle it. The oldest kid's going to get thrown out of God. Uh, it's a mess. I said, did you speak to the husband? He says, yes, I spoke to the husband. And the husband said, I don't know what she wants from me. When we were going out, I told her, I'm a masmid. If you want to marry a masmid, I'm a masmid. I get up in the morning. I go to a very early minion. I don't, I don't sleep late. Early minion. I come back. I have a... I have a quick breakfast. I go off to yeshiva. I'm there at 9 o'clock in the morning at my seat. From 9 to 1, I don't get up out of my seat. I sit and I learn shtark. I come home. I have lunch. I take a half-hour nap. I go back. 3 o'clock, I'm at my table. And I'm there from 3 to 7. I don't get up for a cup of coffee. I don't schmooze. I don't battle. I learn the whole time. I come home, have supper, and I go for night seder. So I don't know what she wants from me. She said she wanted to marry a masman. She said, this is what she wants, and I'm a masman. So I said to the psychologist, did you speak to his, his Rosh Kolo? He agrees with him. He agrees with him. So to help your wife is Bittal Torah. And it takes away from who I am. I, no Sibam Chavero, should help somebody else. That'll help you be Torah better. You know? That's not coming across. So one has to question the Torah. Rav Hillel Zaks, when he was learning in Lakewood, the Rosh Yeshiva called him in to give him Musr because he was not davening in the minion in Yeshiva. And he says, listen, Rav Yosef, what can I tell you? I'm, I, I, I don't sleep late. I have my tefillin in my hand. I'm on my way to Yeshiva, and I see this woman. She's got a bunch of little kids, and there's nobody there to help her. So no, I put down my tefillin, and I, and I make a cheshman, I have to go to a later minion. And I help her get the kids dressed, and I help her make the lunches for the children, you know, and I help walk them out the door. And then I come, I'm too late for the issue of minion, I go to the minion. I said, oh, that beautiful. Mom is your grandson of the Chavetz Chaim. Such chesed. Who's this woman? Maybe we could set up a rotation to help her. I said, her name is Mrs. Zax. You understand? 
But if I would have said, I'm late because I'm helping my wife. What? Helping your wife? Why aren't you in yeshiva? But if it's somebody else's wife, that's okay. You understand? That's why there are kids who are always happy to do chesed for anybody except their parents. <laughs> you know, we'll go out, run a chesed organization, do anything, but help around the house. What am I, a slave? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm, that's a prerequisite to be Kona Taira. This is an amazing thing. That means the more that I work on my simchan, the more, the more I work on my tara, the more I learn on my shmiyazayzen, learning how to listen. You know? To, 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 to listen and understand. The unbelievable story of Yitzchak Hanan. He was trying to get this boy out of the Russian army. You know, a Jewish kid in the Russian army, you, you were cannon fighter. They put you in the front line. You were the first to get killed. He was trying to get this boy out He's in the middle of Shir, and somebody runs in and says, Rebbe, Rebbe, Yanko got out of the army. He goes, oh, Baruch Hashem, thank you for telling me. You know? Ten minutes later, another boy runs in. He says, Rebbe, Rebbe, did you hear Yanko got out of the army? He says, oh, Baruch Hashem, thank you for telling me. When he leaves, the Baruch Hashem said, Rebbe, you knew already. He says, I knew, but the boy didn't know that I knew. And he wanted the thrill of being able to tell me personally the story. So I was telling this story over once. I said, you know, there's a story with Yitzchak Khanan where this boy comes in and the guy says to me, yeah, yeah, I know it. <laughs> and you know, in my line of work, you know, I have people who come to me all the time, the guy, I've got to tell you a joke. You know, here's one you can use. <laughs> I already know I'm finished once they say that. You know, here's one you can use. You know? And they tell me a joke which... The joke should be told in about 25 seconds. And it takes them about three minutes till they set up the joke. And, and they give background and this and that. And they're making the whole thing. And I know the joke already. And I'm sitting there going. <laughs> and then when they finish, I'm like, ah, that's a good one. Remind me to use that one. <laughs> but you understand? But it doesn't make me a better person if I say, yeah, yeah, I know it already. Yeah, yeah, I'm done already. You know? Yisrael Salanta was talking to this non-Jewish woman in the street for 45 minutes, in the middle of the street. And after he's done, one of the Talmudim said, Rebbe, you're not allowed to speak too long to a woman. He says, I wasn't marba, I spoke just enough. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a nice thing to say. You know, I was teaching in the yeshiva, where somebody gave a schmooze about not talking to girls, and this guy really took it to heart, you know, because he came from a community that was more of a co-ed community. So he tells me, he says, you know, I really heard it, I took it to heart. Next Friday I was in Geula, and a girl from my neighborhood says, oh, hi, and I said, drop dead. <laughs> Epis. <laughs> Epis. Epis abyssal, you know. <laughs> That's making myself into a cleave. That's pushing down the brim. The more I work on these things to make myself into a different type of a person, that's how much I'm going to be kinder. Yeah, Torah. That's how much Torah I'm going to receive. It doesn't have to do with the... Okay. So there's this beautiful minag uh, that started 
in the 1500s, I read in a journal once an article by a guy who surmises that the minute of staying up all night, Shavuos night, began at the same time as the spread of coffee in the Middle East. <laughs> this certainly is an interesting parallel. But uh, people stay up all night and learn uh, Shavuos night. Well, they, they do stay up all night. They go for a coffee, they have a piece of watermelon, they talk to a friend, they take a nap on a rambam, you know what I mean? <laughs> Nobody will tell you this is the best learning that they've ever done on, on a, uh, over, the course of a, uh, over the course of an evening. Yeah? Except when I taught in one particular yeshiva, I usually gave shir at 11.30, and half the guys were sleeping. When I gave shir at 2 o'clock in the morning, they were wide awake. <laughs> I realized I had to just, you know, the wrong time slot from everybody was jet lagged. But, um, you know, if you, if you have the night, a normal person, you know, so you should just dive in, have your suda, you know, learn for a little bit, go to sleep, wake up in the morning and learn the whole day. What's the point of staying up all night and, and, and pushing yourself? Because the holiday is called Shavuos. It's not called Chagat Torah. What we're celebrating is the preparation that's the only thing we're celebrating. The weeks of preparation that we spent making ourselves into people that can receive the Torah. Matan Torah is from a lotion of Nasina, of giving. Hashem is going to give it to you. He's going to pour it down on top of you. All you can do is clear off a space so there's a place to put it. All you can do is make yourself into a person where there's room for Torah inside of you. And then the Torah will go in. You say it in davening. You grant a person understanding. It's a gift. Matan Torah. Your job is Kabbalah Torah. You have to just receive it. Hashem will give it and you just have to make sure there's enough room to pour it in. Push down the brim of the hat as far as you can. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. So today is the last day. Rabbi Shor Salanta and others point out that of, there are 48 things that you need to prepare yourself. And there are... Oh, thank you so much. For those of you watching, you don't have to answer on me. Even though it is so incredibly frustrating when you hear somebody make a bracha on a tape and you're like, I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> but there will be an app that answers Amen. <laughs> so that you, for an electronic bracha, so that you don't have to. That's why I find it so fascinating when I go to shul, half the people are davening from their iPhones. And eventually they're going to program the iPhones to daven for them. Have to, you know. So someone said to me, ah, you need a minion. So your iPhone will have an app where it calls nine other iPhones. <laughs> and they all daven together. And there'll be another app that makes it vibrate so it'll shuckle for you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Davening. There are 48 dvarim that you need. And there are 49 days. That's pretty close. What's the last day? The last day is the day that brings it all together.
The last day is the Chazara of all the 48 so that you make a Kenyan into one thing. It's not Amida over here and Amida over there. It's I make myself into a person. And so we have one day left until Kabbalah Satayr. And that's why people stay up a whole night because the emphasis is not whether or not it's the best learning or not. It's the preparation. You know? I, people say get a good night's sleep before a test, before you're going to have a shear, you have a good night's sleep so you can pay attention. You know? When Hashem gave the Aserah Sedibros, after each Dibra, everybody died. You could nap in between. Not a problem. <laughs> Okay, and we're back. <laughs> so there's definitely time to rest in between. You know what I'm saying? We're gonna, we'll pace it, you know? But um, uh, it's, a, it's a preparation. The night is just to work on it, to just show that I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I can't wait. I'm so excited. What could be more thrilling than that? You know? So the more the anticipation, the more the preparation, the more I make myself into a better person, into more of a mensch, then the more I can macabre that Torah. So we're at the end of a process. We're getting ready now to go into Kabbalah Satira. We're in that last stage. And the time that we spend over the next 24, I would call it 30 hours till Kabbalah Satira, is the time that we spend developing a consciousness into what kind of a person am I going to be? Am I going to be a person who focuses on myself and looks out for myself and is concerned with myself? Or am I going to be a person who's concerned with a Kodesh Baruch Hu, with a Kodesh Baruch Hu's people, with the world around me, with how I think, with how I feel, with my approach and my attitudes. And the more I change my attitudes, the more I change me. Stephen Covey in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People points out, you have very little control over anything in this world. Yeah, Not your parents, not your spouse, not your children, not your neighbors, not your boss. The only thing you have any control over is you. And that's ultimately what I have to control. And the more I invest in myself and make myself a better person, then the greater is the ability I have to transform the world. And hence, the more Torah HaKadosh Baruch Hu will give me to be able to make me into the person that we should. And by the way, just in case anyone you know, thinks that this was a man-shear that was just you know, women were allowed to listen in on. Yeah? The fact that women make a bracha of birchas ha in the morning means that you have a mitzvah of Talmud Torah too. Right? It's a different Talmud Torah than, than, uh, than men, but for sure, yeah, you were at Har Sinai. Remember you were at Har Sinai, but you got the Torah first. Kosomar lebeis Yaakov, the sagayed lebenei Yisrael. The women got first. They got it differently, but, but they had to get a Torah, it had to be their Torah. And without going into all the details, but you could uh, take a look at the discussion, and you know, the Gemara and Shabbos talks about it, the whole Shloshes of preparation were only there for the women, not for the men. 
to make sure that the women wear Kabbalah Zatayra. So that this, this is as important for women as it is for men. In Mirza Hashem, all of us will use this last moment to prepare. And I know, I have seen girls studying for tests. Yeah? Not so much guys. Because a guy will go into a test, gets back and goes, 70, it's not so bad. Pretty good. I know most of it. <laughs> a girl's like a 98, and she's like, oh, I can't believe it. Can't you give me this list of points? I'm going to kill myself. I can't believe it. Yeah, but uh, I've seen people, I'm ready to give a test, and they're sitting there with the notes, studying right up to the last minute until you make them close and put it away. They're so nervous. So, we're going to study right up until the last. Kabbalah Satara means that we're all, Kabbalah, which means that we're all, we're, we're all in the Eifin uh, of a Nekeva. We're all in Kabbalah. You know, the Zohar is Mashpia, but the, the Nekeva is Mekabal. We're all, we're all like the Nekeva. It's all women when it comes to Shavuos. We're all Mekabal. It's like a Chasana. We are the woman. All of us, men and women, and Kodesh Baruch Hu is the uh, is the chosen. Yeah, so we we have to all work on this on this midah of Kabbalah of being able to receive it, and we're going to cram right up until the last minute so that when we get there, Mitzvah Hashem will be zayicha to an emes achelik entire.